Join me, Jacqueline Coley, on a brand new podcast, Seen on the Screen, presented by Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes. Meet the innovative people at NBC Universal as they share their journeys, inspirations, and the movies that shape them. Each episode is an intimate and fun conversation about the impact of film. Seen on the Screen is available now. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, the weekly podcast where we take a movie and we say, well, wait, Rotten Tomatoes, did they really get that right as far as the tomato meter goes? The tomato meter is the amalgam of all the critics and what they thought about a particular film. And so if it's 60 percent or above, that means it's fresh. Unfortunately, a lot of times the movies that we love, and there's a whole book about it, as a matter of fact, called The Rotten Movies We Love, they fall south of that number. And we say, wait a minute, Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about that. Sometimes the tomato meter loves a movie that you or I or your mom or your uncle are like, wait, wait, that movie's not that good. So it's a whole fun reason for debate. And it's why we have this podcast. We've been going over 100 episodes strong with me and my co-host, Jacqueline Coley, who is out on assignment today, globetrotting around the world, doing fancy schmancy interviews at film festivals, sipping on Dom Perignon. She works very hard, too. And we are welcoming a new team member. Uh, Glenn is here now, as well as Brian Engineering, because Producing Lucy um, is on maternity leave. She had her kid. Uh, we're very happy for uh, Producing Lucy and her new bundle of joy. So congratulations there. And this is all just a nice sort of preamble behind the scenes because the movie we're actually talking about today, whoo, boy, it will get under your skin and it won't leave some 25 years later. It is Event Horizon from 1997, directed by Paul Anderson, my Paul Anderson, most people would say that Paul Thomas Anderson is their Paul Anderson, but my Paul Anderson is Paul W.S. Anderson. He of Mortal Kombat fame as well. The film stars Lawrence Fishburne, Joey Richardson, Kathleen Quinlan, and Sam Neill. And it's about a spaceship that, uh, well, it's a whole lot. It's a whole lot going on. We had a ship. We're trying to recover it. There's some spooky things going on. It's a spooky season. That's why we're talking about this movie. In addition to its anniversary, is it going to introduce us to a new wormhole? Are we going to lose our lives? We don't know. And that's the fun of Event Horizon. It was not necessarily a hit when it was released in theaters, sort of a rushed job. And we'll get into that when we introduce our guest. But the movie has developed a cult following since then, picked up a lot of home media sales in various formats. And now we still reference it way more than you might actually think even though it's 31% rotten. Can you believe it? 31% rotten. It is fresh with the audience. It is 61% with the audience score, and it is featured in the book, Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. But are they really wrong? That's why we have one of our returning favorites here. We talked to her not too long ago for Batman Returns, and she had some very interesting insights into that film, Justice for Selena Kyle. She is back. She is presenter and podcaster to the stars from the other side of the pond for now, but her adventures have taken her 
all across the world time and time again, maybe even to the stars, maybe even through a black hole. Let's ask her. It's Claire Lim. We, Claire, welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Hello there. It's lovely to be back. Since speaking to you, I have actually not been to a black hole, but I've been to California. Uh, and okay, I've come close back enough. Here. And uh, now I'm in my happy space again. So it's nice to be back. Thank you. I, I love looking at your, your happy space, your 100% authentic background. We did check it. And um, it's it's so fun because talking to you, I was actually in Vegas when we did the Batman Returns episode. So now we're both at our respective homesteads. And I have a question to ask you, um, obviously, that we ask all of our guests when we introduce a movie on here about Event Horizon. But before we get to that, I'm just going to let you know, and I just want to sort of get your gauge on how bad of a film goer I am. I had never made it all the way through Event Horizon until this week in prepping for this show. Claire, I remember it coming out. I remember renting it. I remember trying to watch it and not hating it. But just for some reason, I fell asleep within an hour. Is the problem me? Is that just the perfect time in the movie to take a quick nappy poo? What is it about Event Horizon that made me want to fall asleep? Why are you napping through Event Horizon? It's I don't such, know what's wrong with me. It's definitely you. You are the problem. You are the problem, <laughs> Mark. Uh, if you're napping through a film like Event Horizon, then you need to take a long, hard look at yourself, quite frankly. Uh, well, that, I mean, that's what we're here to do today. This is going to be not just an examination of the movie, but a psychological profile of Mark and Claire and where we stand. So, Claire, you heard the tomato meter number. I have a feeling I know which way you're leaning on this one. 31% rotten on the tomato meter is Event Horizon. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about the movie? What it's disgusting. What a disgusting <laughs> score that is. Yes, so wrong. So wrong. It should be way higher, in my opinion, for sure. Way higher for Claire and me after having seen the movie start to finish. I promise I stayed awake. Didn't even need caffeine for it. This is a really fun movie. It's it's a ride. It is trippy. It does a lot of different things. It's very ambitious. I don't know that it pulled all those ambitions off entirely, but that might not be the fault of the movie. So there's a lot to talk about here with Event Horizon. But before we get into that, we need to know what the critics were saying at the time of its release in 1997 and why it has that, according to Claire Lim and I, curiously low tomato meter at 31%. So let's turn it over to our buddy, Tim Ryan. He's our expert review curation manager here at Rotten Tomatoes. And he's going to tell us what was going on back in 97 with all those film reviewers. It's Two Minutes with Tim. Hit the music. Two Minutes with Tim. Over the last couple of years, I've been working on a project called RT Archives, in which we go back and find reviews for classic movies when they were new, like, say, Godfather reviews from 1972 or Wizard of Oz reviews from 1939. But one particular area of interest for me has been lost films. There is a staggering number of movies from the 1890s to the early 1930s that were either forgotten or burned up in a vault fire or decomposed because early films were made of highly unstable materials. You can't see any of these movies today, but you can read reviews of them from when they came out and you can get an idea of what they felt like. So what does this have to do with Event Horizon? Given that most notable lost films are almost a century old, it's hard to imagine that anything of recent vintage could go missing. But that's exactly what happened to large swaths of Paul W.S. Anderson's sci-fi horror film. Upon its release in theaters, Event Horizon was a critical and commercial disappointment, but it quickly developed a cult following on video, so there was interest in a director's cut and almost all the extra footage was missing. What was in it? Additional character development and multiple endings, but also extended scenes of the nightmarish visions that have made this an underground favorite for many horror buffs. And the missing footage has only added to its sinister mystique. 
All this being said, the vision that the public saw back in 1997 was largely considered stylish, but otherwise derivative. Event Horizon is rotten at 31% on the tomato meter with 86 reviews, and it has a 61% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Dennis King of the Tulsa World wrote, Unfortunately, Anderson can't seem to decide whether he's making a sci-fi thriller, a ghost story, a gory horror film, or a metaphysical musing on the nature of good and evil. However, in a fresh review, Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly wrote, Just when you've written off this deep space nightmare as a late summer melange of Alien, Fantastic Voyage, The Shining, and a dozen more forgettable otherworldly thrillers, it unleashes some of the most unsettling horror imagery in years. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, Despite a strong opening that promises sci-fi thrills, Event Horizon quickly devolves into an exercise of style over substance whose flashy effects and gratuitous gore fail to mask its over-reliance on horror cliches. So that's Event Horizon. I hope they don't lose the three hours of outtakes from this podcast, which are terrifying. Back to you, folks. <laughs> that they are, Tim outing me. I, I'm a one-hit wonder, and... Well, maybe that's an outtake. I was trying to say it was a one-take wonder, but it's been a long day here, Claire. Maybe we do need to have a vault that just stores all of the forgotten footage of Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. When you hear that stuff, when you hear all of the things that went on with this movie afterwards, like, it, it, how do you wrap your brain around? Where's the footage? This is the thing. Like, It's already, I think we see hints of how disturbing and gory it, it, it already is. It could be. So I, I'm very curious about what that looks like and it's missing i mean it's nowhere to be seen though but i love that kind of lore behind films and i guess that does add to the mystique and um you know it's one of those things i think at the time as well like it, it felt i guess for critics felt rushed there was a lot of studio interference as well the lost footage um it, perhaps it felt unfinished for some but over time i actually think it's a really amazing and great sort of pastiche of horror movies up into that point, up into 1997 of that past 15, 20 years. So I think looking back on it, it feels quite nostalgic to me. It, it does. And it is fun to have conspiracy theories about where is the missing footage. It doesn't feel like, a, oh, no, the dog ate my homework. It's like, no, no, no. We really want to know what happened to this. Why is it gone? Thank you, Tim, for that setup. And uh, we're going to transition into movie talk now once we hear those tones. Yeah, 97. It's, it doesn't feel like that long ago, but it is a movie celebrating its 25th anniversary. Oh. I can't believe that just happened. I mean, we were just celebrating the 30th anniversary, you and me, of Batman Returns. And now we're here. We are 25 years for Event Horizon. Does oh. Claire Lim remember the first time she laid eyes on the magic that was this film? Yeah, I didn't see it in the theaters. But I saw it quite close to the time and um, it was at home. Um, so it's home video and um, I love sci-fi um, and I grew up with films uh, like the Alien franchise, things like that. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed things like Hellraiser when I was younger as well. So I quite like sort of 80s and sort of 90s horrors as well. Hell, I mean, Hellraiser, it kind of went downhill quite fast. <laughs> there were so many Hellraiser films, but I really did enjoy that too. And we see elements of this through the film. But when I first... When I first watched Event Horizon, I quite liked that it. it was quite an hour and a half. It's quite succinct. It does what it says on the tin. I think it's disturbing enough, so I can't imagine how disturbing it could have been. But for my young eyes at the time, I felt quite disturbed. 
Um, I really enjoyed it and I thought it married all of my loves of sci-fi horror into one really great succinct film at the time. So I enjoyed it. It made me feel, you know, and and I don't feel very often, Mark. I have to say that. <laughs> don't feel often. Well, the movie did, I mean, it had a little bit of competition at the box office. It was coming off of this indie sensation that was the full Monty that had come out, uh, I believe, a couple days earlier. And then it had uh, Copland, which was like a big sort of, you know, it was Stallone going for an Oscar and De Niro's in there and uh, Steel, the Shaquille O'Neal movie also opened that same week. But, you know, back back in the late 90s, it was it was sort of a, August was like the dumping ground of all the summer movies. It just didn't quite feel like they had the stuff that it took to be tent poles. And so I was hitting the theater quite a bit back then. I actually think I worked at a movie theater that summer and I just never made it to Event Horizon. But I will say this. I loved the trailer for that movie. I remember seeing the trailer and being like, this looks really intriguing. I was a big Lawrence Fishburne guy. He's always good in everything. And and Paul W.S. Anderson coming off of a great theatrical experience for me, Mortal Kombat. I'm like, yeah, I'm all in with this guy. And I just never got around to seeing the movie. But the then you, I finally watched it, or I guess I had rented it, and the movie kicks off. And it's so funny. I it, The other movie that I always fell asleep watching when I was a little kid was Raiders of the Lost Ark. So it's not a commentary on the quality of the movie. It's just something happens at a certain time and I'm just I'm just out like a light. But Event Horizon, I always got picked up on the sci-fi aspect of it really quick. I never quite made it to the horror spooky side of it. You could feel the tone right from the start that wait, there's more than meets the eye here. But you didn't really know what was happening with this ship that itself is a manifestation of a possession or a demon and the way that they sort of pitched it was this is the shining taking place in outer space and so do you remember the movie having a visceral effect on you when you saw it or was it sort of like an acquired taste where you knew you liked something about it but it just didn't really hit you the first time you watched it no, I pretty much loved it the first uh, time that I saw it because I'm I'm a sucker for these kind of films. And I thought that what really grabbed me, um, which is what I mentioned a little bit earlier, was some of the horror references within it. You can you'll recognize some imagery that's quite close to Hellraiser um, yeah, in the yep. movie. Um also if we're talking about the shining in space, there's like a sort of flood of and a wave of blood at one point, which is very reminiscent to like the sort of blood coming out the elevator and the overlook hotel. So there's like little moments for me that sort of hit, you know, that hit sort of in a sort of horror fan sort of way. I loved it, but and I even loved the set design at the time. I thought the set design was great. Um, it was based on uh, the Notre Dame Cathedral. That's amazing. Like that, the ship was based on the cathedral in Notre Dame. Uh, how incredible! So it's very iconic to me because when I think of Event Horizon, even now I can see the ship. I can see that round, spiky orb surrounded by water. I can see the blood. I can see the death. And I can see the kind of horrible, gory scenes. And that's why it hit quite hard for me. And that's what horror does best. It impacts you quite deeply. And that imagery stays with you for years. I mean, 25 years, you say Event Horizon, I can see Sam Neill's bloodied face and blue eyeballs. <laughs> you know, all of these things are incredible. It's an incredible film. It is. And it does what great horror movies do. Even, you know, you, you hear some of the critics lambaste it by saying it doesn't know what it wants to be. It doesn't want to be a horror movie, a sci-fi, all these things. And I'm like, it can be more than one thing. It doesn't have to neatly fit into a section of blockbuster video. 
And even though I had nodded off by the time, like the real scary elements of this movie <laughs> sort of are pushed to the forefront, you just felt something was a little off. But I just love that premise of you have this ship that was ahead of its time that disappeared and now it's reappeared and we got to go investigate it and see what happened. I mean, that is the exact way to set up a movie, what, like even like the haunting in outer space where we're basically going to the house that your parents told you do not go to that house it's on the edge of town it's at the end of the street it's really creepy the lawn hasn't been maintained you do not want to go in that house but there's just something so intriguing that you can't say no and if you're a person of science like astronauts are claire this is everything that they've ever wanted it's like you just science is the quest for answers and so what better answer to get than where the hell has this ship been for the last decades <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And before I go on with my next points, actually, I'd like to start calling you Sleepy Ellis, if that's okay <laughs> with you. Uh, Sleepy Ellis is now your new name. We're going to have to change that for All Rotten Tomato podcast. Brian, Brian, you be no not uh, the first just... woman to uh, to pick up on that. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> TMI, TMI, Mark, TMI. You're not painting yourself in the greatest light here, I have to say. Uh, I love yes. my naps. <laughs> um, I think what it's, it's nonsense that the what some of what the critics critics said rather is is nonsense because you can combine sci-fi and horror and you can also combine sci-fi and religious themes. This ship, we don't know where it's been. It's clear as the film goes on that it has been to hell and back. You know, and I love that element of combining. And this is what good sci-fi horror does. Um, and sort of horror and sci-fi does. You, you're in space, you're in the cold, dark dead of space, but also you're facing your inner demons. All of the crew are facing their inner demons and th those fears are manifesting themselves in front of them and on the ship. It's about religion, inner reflection, God, hell, the cold dead of space. That is more scary to me, facing my inner demons in space than being chased by an alien. You know, I mean, if you had to face your inner demons in space, Mark, what would they be? What would your it, it inner would, demons be? My inner demon is just the lack of a pillow. It's like I keep trying to put my head down. <laughs> then the pillow just keeps moving just so I can't quite get a good night's rest. And it's just Sam it, Neill going, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's very <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> but but we had had, you know, haunted house movies since really or haunted house stories, I should say, even before movies were an art form. And then, you know, Stephen King comes along. We get a haunted car with Christine. We get a haunted hotel with The Shining. And I just know I'm sure there's like, you know, I'm sure one of the Pumpkinhead movies has a haunted tractor or something in it. But um, I, and I do want to give a shout out to our expert researcher for this show and for my show versus Mark Hoffmeyer has an article on RottenTomatoes.com that where it's like the five things that, you know, really it, he appreciates about Event Horizon and, and why it still is um, such a, a, a thrilling movie that holds up 25 years later. And one of the points that he makes in it is that you have the horror film influence, just like what you said with Hellraiser and sort of the look of the ship. And and it, it also reminds me of 2001 A Space Odyssey, just because that movie is more horror leaning than I think it gets credit for, because it's obviously a sci-fi masterpiece directed by uh, the same guy who did The Shining a little bit later. But you also have this ship and this, this computer that becomes sentient and starts to have you know feelings and like wants to take over. And you feel that creep in with this ship as well. And you just wonder where the hell it's been, what 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 possessed it, what got in it. It, it. Let me ask you this. With the character of Dr. Weir, who's played by Sam Neill, what were his intentions initially? Do you feel like he always had some devious, like, you know, leaning 
differently than just a man of science should? Or do you think that he was at one time pure hearted with this endeavor and then it just broke really bad and he couldn't get himself out of it? I think the Dr. Weir character is very, very interesting. He's a very complex character as we start to see his story unfold. He's a man of science. Clearly, he's driven for the curiosity, that curiosity that needs to discover, you know, and clearly he wants to understand where the ship's been. I don't think his intentions are nefarious at the start. But as his inner demons take over, and obviously the ship is a character in itself, as you sort of are mentioning, you know, Christine, you know, the, the car is a character, the <laughs> Overlook Hotel, you know, is a character yeah. in itself, you know, yeah. in The Shining. So that's why this is this really works. This ship is also a character. This ship takes hold of Dr. Weir. And I see, and you see, start to see his story unfold. And I think that his sadness and fear turns to anger and pain, which what it always does with human beings, you know, anger and, and fear comes from sort of sadness and insecurity. And so it's a shame somewhere along the line that gets lost. So I think he's kind of a complex character. He's not just an evil villain. He's someone with a very tragic past, someone who yeah. was driven by curiosity and then taken over by pain, you know, and that's the sad thing about him, actually. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. But the beauty of casting Sam Neill in this role is that everybody on Earth was now conditioned to trust this guy, particularly as a scientist, because Jurassic Park had come out four years earlier. And <laughs> I mean, you know, again, Sam Neill's a wonderful actor. He's been in a, a lot of memorable roles, but we're seeing Dr. Alan Grant basically just transfer his knowledge of dinosaurs to spaceships and to the construct and, and how to how to restore them how to save them and so we just inherently are ready to follow this guy wherever he's going and part of that is just you get lucky with the casting but you, you got to wonder if that's in the back of paul ws anderson's mind when, when like you cast this movie it's like who's the scientist that everybody trusts now it's the guy from <laughs> jurassic park i mean it's it, you could not have casted that film better and then to have just a a matter of fact leader we have a job to do let's get this mission done I think that Lawrence Fishburne was another stroke of genius when it comes to just casting the perfect Miller role. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, before I go on, like, I'd love to see 
a Jurassic Park event horizon crossover where like oh the my t- gosh. imagine the T-Rex is facing their inner <laughs> demons just like T-Rex is like facing their inner demons and yeah. Sam Neill just going the Dr. Weir character going crazy um, but yeah like I think that Lawrence Fishburne does a really great job as Captain Miller in this film like a really really great job the thing is that works really well about the film is the characters are actually all quite likeable okay Dr. Weir Sam Neill Okay, he's he's the evil one, but actually quite tragic. But there's a part of the film where Lawrence Fishburne's character, Captain Miller, says he sees the footage, he hears the footage, and he goes, right, we're getting out of here. You know, he's not waiting around. He's like, no, I've got to get you all to safety. It's not like other films where it's like, let's investigate further and maybe crawl through this duct and just hide for a bit till something happens. <laughs> no, he's like, let's get the heck out of here. And they're all very likable characters. You know, you want them to survive, you know, and there's that familial bond that they have at the beginning which is unraveling as the inner demons come out and as the movie goes on and the ship takes hold, but you're still fighting for them, you know, and that's what makes them so great with Lawrence Fishburne, obviously at the head of that, he does a great job. He's brilliant. Even uh, Jason Isaacs as the medic, he, he plays, he plays DJ, the, the, the doctor on board, but Jason Isaacs, a few years later, we wouldn't trust him at all because he's the guy who was just so ruthless in the movie, the Patriot, which he still reminds us on, uh, Every 4th of July on Twitter, which is hysterical. But Jason Isaacs is great in this movie. Jolie Richardson, Kathleen Quinlan, as we mentioned. The cast is top notch. And then when you actually dive into the story, I'm curious from your perspective, Claire, because you saw this relatively early, I would say, in its lineage. Even though you didn't see it in the theater, most other people didn't see it in the theater, too. It, it was a $60 million production budget. It only made a little over 40 in theaters. And so most folks came to it, I think, relatively quickly once it hit home video, home DVD, Divix was around that time, if that's the way you broke. But what do you think made this movie beget such a cult following the way that it did? I mean, Jane Foster even references it in Thor Love and Thunder in this past summer. So it's like this movie clearly has legs. And and even if people haven't seen the movie or are steeped in the war, they know the concept and they know the movie. And that's thanks to this cult following. How did that start? I think for a start, uh horror fans true horror fans love their horror you know and they're willing to forgive a lot okay there is a lot wrong with this movie if we kind of think that it feels perhaps slightly unfinished it's a bit choppy in places but i think it does enough and it works well in the hour and a half that it's been given you know and we can forgive that the lore but i think horror fans especially at that time you you imagine going to like a sort of video store and you're like you know looking for like a, a video to look watch i used to love that and then looking at reading in the back and looking at the front cover uh, without having seen the trailer because i never saw a trailer i just got it on video and then i started watching it but i think what's made it really <laughs> successful are those references is the fact that horror fans love their horror i think that the performances are absolutely brilliant and there are key set pieces in the film that really really work the deaths really work it feels very climactic each death feels very very powerful and very very tragic so there's a lot there underneath maybe the I guess the sort of missing footage and all of these kind of things that you can like pick apart. There's a lot there that gives it a lot of strength. Actually, it's quite a solid movie when you strip all of that apart. So, you know, goodness only knows what it would look like if it was given its, you know, all of its footage and, and sort of released in its full pomp, if you know what I mean. 
Yeah, the film was originally a 130-minute cut, and then that was edited down by the studio demanded it to be much trimmer. And so it went all the way down to 96 minutes, and then we're just kind of wondering where the rest of that footage. I think some people have reported that it's it, it's it, the only re- remaining footage that's still in existence anywhere is on some VHS that's like in South America or like Brazil somewhere, and we're not really sure if it's been corroded or not. So I, I highly doubt we're ever going to see more from that shooting of event horizon anyway but and the the editing was rushed anyway because here's just this weird nugget about this movie is that you may remember another film that came out in 97 around the holidays that was sort of popular titanic it uh took a long time to make took a lot of money to make and it was delayed and so titanic was originally slated to come out that summer but then when titanic had to be pushed Paramount was like, hey, uh, we need this movie to be done now because they needed something to come out in the summer. And so Event Horizon was tapped. So they had a 10, usually a film is going to be about 10 to 12 weeks to edit it. They had six weeks to edit this and you still do all the testing and all the screenings and all that stuff you got to do. And so you just really didn't have time to sink your teeth into this. And, And Claire, when you watch the movie, it's not something as cut and dry as even as Titanic is. I know there's a lot of, of characters in Titanic, but it's a pretty simple love story. There's a whole lot of stuff going on in Event Horizon. We're getting into the metaphysical realm. We're talking about wormholes, horror, science fiction. It's so much to chew on. And you really want the filmmakers and the editors to be able to take their time crafting this piece. There's still moments, though, from this film that just stand out. What is one of those moments for you? What is a scene that you say that is why this movie still has legs 25 years on? Oh, goodness. You only want me to go through one? Okay, right. So I got a couple up my sleeve as well. So, okay, I'll, I'll give you a couple. Okay, so <laughs> I would say that first of all, what really kind of got me going, oh, this film is is really something was when they find the footage of the the last crew you don't really see very much it's a fuzzy it's kind of fuzzy footage but you hear the screams it's like a hell on the ship hell has been unleashed on that ship and it's sort of sexual and gory and crazy and you only see flashes here and there of of what you think you might see things going in people's mouths out people's it's horrible it's really disgusting but I loved it. <laughs> like I like messed up stuff, Mark. That's what I like. I like the messed up stuff. So I kind of like the messed upness, and it kind of like it's a hint of it, and it gives it a bit of an edge for me. Then there is uh, the Sam Neil moment. I think when we're seeing his whole backstory really played out, I think that's really sad and tragic. We're seeing hints of it. Okay, that might be a past partner. We're not too sure. Why is she not got any eyes? I don't know. She's walking about naked. Okay. But then we see that he wasn't around. Uh, He was absent. She was lonely. And then she eventually committed suicide. And the guilt of that completely consumes him. And that's what gives the layers of each character, especially his character, that I really enjoy. And that's what makes good horror because it means something. Everything means something. So it does a really good job in that short period of time to explain all of that. So I think they did all right, actually. And I mentioned how much I appreciate Lawrence Fishburne as an actor and and in this role where he's able to sort of be like a player coach where he's the leader, but he's also the one that's going to call the shots and he has to do it sometimes at a moment's notice. You talk about the scene where they're watching footage of the previous crew and it's haunting and it's like, what the hell is going on? 
I love, as soon as that video ends, this is not going to play out like those families that we yell out that move into a haunted house at the beginning of the movie. We're like, just leave. You can find other property. You got plenty of money. You don't need this to be your dumb writer's retreat. Lawrence Fishburne's like, okay, we're out of here. Like, as soon as that footage ends, he's like, uh-uh, not the mission I signed up for. Let's get the hell out of here. And so they're not necessarily bound by ego to the rest of this mission. They're not even bound by, like, loyalty to the job. They're just like, oh, crap, we want to leave. Trust me, we just want to go home and hug our families. We can't. We cannot get out. And that, to me, in, in the audience watching it, adds so much fear to the fact that you want to leave and now it's become sort of an escape room situation where you're sort of forced to do combat against whatever the hell this ship is presenting at you because you have the desire to go you just don't have the means well this is the thing like that's realistic okay if you and i yeah. were on that ship i'd be like i'm out here now i'm going to give you a modern day example which is beautiful and looks much better but it's unrealistic prometheus so prometheus looks amazing Ridley Scott was yes, so excited, does. so in the cinema. But there are so many holes that you can pick apart. For example, uh, the scientist, one of the scientists, and there's a scene in the film where a little creature comes up and it goes, it's a snake-like creature, and he, he puts his, his face into it. And it's almost like he's going, good you, good you, hello, little creature. Hello there. <laughs> and of course, he dies, and yeah. quite rightly so. And life choices, quite frankly, did not feel sorry for him at all. Yeah, so you don't do that. You don't do, do that to a species you've never met, and you don't, sorry, Prometheus, you don't have sex in space, okay? Oh. I, I don't care how attracted you are. <laughs> Wait until you're back on Earth. Just keep it in your pants. It's not that long a journey, all right? Yeah. <laughs> relax, be fine. everyone. It's just, just relax and grab a sock. Anyway, <laughs> like it's absolutely <laughs> fine. So yeah, it's things like that where I just think, come on, you know, there's no urgency in Prometheus. In Event Horizon, it's, they start. there's a scene where you can see that familial bond of the crew starting to break down because they're starting to exchange stories of what they've seen. You know, I saw this on the ship. Well, I saw this. They're breaking down a little bit. You know, they kind of want to leave at that point, but they're not too sure. So you can see them starting to break down fast because you would. You're in space. You're seeing crazy weird stuff, you know, and then you hear some crazy things, see the footage. I'd be out of there. I mean, I would have been out of there after the first vision. I would have been like in a space <laughs> pod. I mean, OK, bye, everyone. Bye, Mark. Bye, Sleepy Ellis. Have a nice nap. See you later. Bye. Oh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm already conked out by that point. If I hear we want to leave, but we can't, I'm like, well, I guess I'll find a good place to hole up and snooze until the rest of the crew figures this out. I mean, you, <laughs> you, you, take, you take everything that you see in this movie and you take the characters. Do you have a favorite kill? that you're like, or I'll extend it to like a gory scene because just the, the makeup effects on who Weir has turned into, at least the body that, you know, is Weir with the sort of the, the random stitching of blood across his face. And it's just, it's really this gross pattern, um, but it still looks cool and it still looks horrifying. It's, it, it's a nice mix of like early CGI, but a lot of practical effects in here too. Yeah, which is why it looks so. Which is why it looks so good. You know, I think he looks absolutely mm -hmm. brilliant. He looks terrifying. Um, favorite kill? Okay, I, like there's a very obvious one, which is the DJ kill, where he's sort of splayed and hung on display, and that's very yeah. obvious because it's very gory. And 
And it reminds me of a lot of horrors I watched growing up as a kid that I wasn't supposed to watch at the time, mm-hmm. you know. But I would say this when I was re-watching it um, a couple of days ago. Um, Peters, which is uh, Kathleen Quinlan's character, her backstory is quite tragic, you know. She lost her son. So we see her son appear and she chases her son. She's trying to, like, catch him. You know, she's taken over because she's a mother. And then all yeah. of a sudden... And we're she, like, no, it's not your kid. We know it's like, not your kid. Like, come on, man, wake up. It's like, it's so, you you know what's going to happen, you know. And then she dies quite suddenly by falling to her death and she just slams on the ground. There's no slow-mo or anything. Slam. And it feels hard and it's horrible and that kind of <clears throat> cough at the end. And just her son from above going, ha, 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 laughing and, and then yeah. walking away. That's kind of, that's quite tragic, creepy and, and completely horrible that's it's just really psychologically horrible so i'd say that one that's a that's an one. evil demon or ship or whatever you want to call it because like if you die if you go by christian mythology and you're like all right i'm gonna die but now i get to see all my dead relatives or whatever it's like she's gonna see her kid in the next life and be like you creep like, like it, you don't even want to see your kid anymore at that point because of what he just did to you for me I, I, it's it's not necessarily the ultimate fate that because Cooper does get ejected into space for, you know, uh, a, a time there. And that is like, I don't know why it's like the greatest fear of mine because I, highly unlikely that I'm ever going to get recruited by NASA to be in outer space. But you see it in the movie Gravity with George Clooney. And I'm sure a bunch of James Bond villains have met their end in outer space. But just the concept of being in this suit and just getting ejected from a ship and just floating until you die like that really sucks that feels like a really bad way to go because you're kind of a hero i mean you're exploring outer space you're exploring the cosmos but you can't tell anybody about it you can't take a selfie you can't post it on instagram it's a rough way rough way to go it's just waiting to die i think that's it and it's it's space is so vast and lonely yeah i've often thought about that as well mark like what would I mean? It's very unlikely either of us are going to be recruited and, and get sent into space as any kind of space heroes. <laughs> like, thank you're, goodness, you're a big napper, and I've got no upper body strength, so I, like, <laughs> it's really not going to work for us, quite frankly. <laughs> but yeah, I've often thought about that. The fe- it's the fear of being lost in a space where it's, it's so vast that no one can find you. Like looking for a needle in a haystack. Who's going to come for you? Who's going to see you? But I will say by the same token, if like I'm ejected, I'm just floating through space to meet my eternity. And then I'm given the option, hey, you can keep doing this and slowly die. Or uh, do you want to go back to the ship? I'd be like, I think I'll take my chances on my own. Would you? Yeah. Look, I I don't know what's on the other side of that black hole or wormhole or whatever you want to say. Like, you know, we we blow up the the ship and and we kind of split it into two at the end. I do not want to go with the other i don't want to be on either part of the ship because we should talk about how this movie wraps up which is mm. such a cool shot that that I, I this is exactly how it went down when i was watching it this week again for the first time all the way through i'm watching it and and by this point i realized that previous mark was wrong for nodding off during this movie. like it just for whatever reason it was up too late i don't know what it was i'm here now and i like event horizon should be a fresh movie so you're watching it and at the and the very end, we do have some survivors and, and it's like, OK, we got some hope we're, we we got a rescue team here. But then we we pan out a little bit and we see the ship close right back in. And it's like, oh, we're just going to relive the same cycle like is. And, and I saw that and I rewound it just to make sure I was seeing what the movie wanted me to see that we're just starting this baby all over again and it's not going to end any better. Is there anybody? Well, I'll 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 back up. 
your take on the ending of this movie, given that it might not have been the cut that all the filmmakers had desired to have, I think it's a pretty effective way to close out the story. Yeah, I think so. It's it's not a happy ending. It's an ominous ending, yeah. I guess. Uh, you kind of can fill in the gaps. And I think the best endings are when you do fill in the gaps. You know, I don't think we need a happy ending. And I think, especially with horror and hell, something as impending as hell you know like if the ship has been to hell and back and that is such a powerful and crazy hellish place the power of that overtaking them how can they get away from that how can they you know and do they have the science and the resources to escape probably not you know we are you know weak and we're human after all so if there is something like that then you get no chances and so i quite like that ominous ending i like the fact that there is no sequels no talk of what happens next it just is what it is and that's how it ends and it ends to like you know sort of techno 90s techno which is quite, <laughs> which is quite an interesting choice uh but yeah i i like the ending i think the ending suits the film for sure I'm going to say something that sounds like I'm not rooting for anybody on that ship, but I just, again, I've watched Alien a lot and I'm familiar with the franchise and this film has clear inspirations from the movie Alien from 1979, one of which is I don't know that I necessarily want anybody who has experienced any of the events in the Alien movies or Prometheus or Alien Covenant or whatever to ever come back to Earth because I don't know what they're bringing with them and that scares the crap out of me. I think the same could be said for these haunted souls, even if it's all inside their head. I don't know that I want anybody from Lewis and Clark or the Event Horizon ever to make it safely back to Earth because what is accompanying them, Claire? Where's your humanity, Mark? They're not human anymore. They're gone. (laughs) Sleepy Alice has spoken and he says, stay out of our world. Just stay out of our world. Sleepy than dead. I'll tell you that much. Um, would you rather welcome like an alien though like that was visiting or or someone like that back so you've seen me interact with the dog you know if i saw an alien on earth i would be just as dumb as the prometheus scientist and i try to give it reese's pieces and i would just (laughs) try to be friends and and give it a cores or whatever but you would die and you would die i would totally eat it and and fine (laughs) that's that, that that's my fate so be it i was i died a nice guy but if you 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 hit on something that I think a lot of fans sort of debate back and forth about this movie, and that is that so many times on this show, like when we had you on, we talked about Batman Returns. We obviously had many sequels, maybe not a direct sequel to that film, but a lot of other adventures in the Batman universe. Is there a way to go back to Event Horizon? People are still talking about it 25 years later. Is, is there a way that we just say, hey, that was a great movie. It's a great starting point. Let's remake it. Let, let's, people still clearly have an appetite for this. Let's do this thing right. Or let's do a sequel or let's do a prequel and show the initial voyage of the event horizon. I mean, there's a lot to play within this world. I know that we live in a day and an age where IP is IP and you got to have some familiarity and you want to make a franchise out of everything. Should there be any more to do with event horizon? I'm going to say as much as I would love to, I'm going to say no, because a prequel, I would, I think, would appeal more to me than a sequel. However, a prequel would just be us seeing the ship making its journey with a, with a bunch of crew that ends up dying and end up with the same fate as the crew we've seen. So it'd be too similar almost. And then I think with a sequel, I don't know, like, I, I just kind of think, well, we're going to go back and just find the ship again I, I think the story's been told and even the director uh, himself Paul Anderson has said I'm very happy 
with what I've made. I'm very happy with it. And this is what I've made. I don't think we need to always keep going back and explaining the story over and over again. I don't know. I don't think a sequel or a prequel would work for me. I think it is what it is. It's its own film. And I think we should just be happy with what we've got. There's lots of other sci-fi horrors out there that we can watch that will satiate our appetite. I'm fine with it the way it is. Having said that, and, and I, I think I agree with you for the most part. I, for some reason, I'm very interested in a prequel to Event Horizon. I don't know why, because we pretty much see the very truncated version in, what, a 20-second clip in, in this movie. And, you know, we kind of know how it ends. But I, if I told you that, oh, my gosh, they finally discovered all the unused footage from this movie... <laughs> You're going to see that opening night, right? If they're like, no, we have the 130-minute cut and it's back. We found the footage and it looks great. And this is the movie we wanted to make. I think that does boffo box office if we live in a world where that would ever be possible. Oh, yeah. I'm going to get my, pr- my brown pants on. I'm going to get my adult diapers on and I'm going. <laughs> like, I am going, Mark. Yeah, 100% because you only see that tiny little clip. Who knows what could have come next? So that is the only thing that I'd be interested in watching at this point. I think that we are, in some senses, prequels and sequels do sort of work in terms of film or TV. But I think we're living in a a sort of world where that sort of the industry is just feeding us more and more and more like we're gluttonous for more and more and more. Sometimes I don't think more is good. I think we need to go on a diet, Mark. That's what I think. We need to go on a diet. Well, we got a an Event Horizon, uh, the name of a movie in Event Horizon, but it took place in like, I, I think it was like one show and it, it really had nothing to do with the, the 1997 film. And, you know, I, I think one of the tragedies of, of losing all that footage is that there is this like extended version of Hell that that Paul W. Sanderson had intended, but and he was even quoted as saying this, is that he the original version had a bunch of gore and special effects and there was a bunch of like pus and maggots and stuff and it made test audiences completely shut down. So the test audiences for this movie that, you know, some depending on what studio it is, the directors and never really want the movie to be tested for anybody. And then the studios need to see if this is going to put any butts in seats. And apparently the test audiences did not react well to that more extended, deeper cut going into hell. And so maybe it's for the best because I'm not a huge. I love scary movies. I like the more psychological scares. I don't necessarily need to see everything spelled out on the screen for me. Uh, Hell looks pretty intense in the event horizon verbiage. Yeah, it does. It really does. I'd love to. I mean, imagine, though. If we went to see it together, Mark, I would be uh, counting down and taking note of when you went for a fear nap. I'm going to call it a fear yeah. nap. Yep. Um, I think your body just shut down knowing what was coming <laughs> next. And I think that's what was happening. Not sure about, was it Raiders of the Lost Ark? I'm not sure what happened there with your fear napping. I'm, uh, I'm, I guess I'm scared of, of the most evil on Earth or in outer space. So I was scared of Nazis and I was uh, scared <laughs> of whatever was happening to the event horizon and i just want lawrence fishburne to make it out of a movie i don't think that's too much to ask um no. we you know it's funny he this is our our second week in a row talking about mr fishburne he was in nightmare on elm street three the dream warriors and uh we sort of covered the whole nightmare on elm street franchise which does have a lot of gore and pus and probably maggots at some point last week so uh our former rotten tomatoes editor-in-chief the great joel mears uh one time had to had an exchange with sam neal he got to interview him um for his film rams 
And so he, Joel, no, and knowing Joel, this is totally on brand for him. He asked about Event Horizon and Sam Neill said that my main regret with that film is that I thought it was cut too fast. I love thrillers. I love the alien dimension to that. You don't know what's going on. There's a threat, but you don't know what it is. And he said, I think Paul got a bit bored cutting it and he cut it too fast. And again, this is all in the context of they only had six weeks to cut this movie anyway. So Sam is just saying there should be a lot of silence because in silence and the dark, there lies the dread. It doesn't quite breathe enough, that film. I'd like to see it recut. And I think that particular niche audience would enjoy watching it more. And I agree with Sam Neill. There's only so much you can do with that. But I think the one flaw with this movie is that it does try to throw too many visuals at us at too quick a clip. And I think that that is a jarring change up from the first half of this movie is that it really just starts throwing the kitchen sink as far as just gross out stuff. And it's warranted given what the events are. I just think that it's a huge change of pace for this movie to take. Took some fans on the ride with it. Other ones like me either uh, got sleepy or just were like, I don't really know what this movie is, but I think I can safely get it to fresh. I think this movie should probably land around 70, 75%, which because it's such a fantastic storyline and i thought given all the backstage drama going on the fact that this movie came out at all is a miracle and much less that it's really good but i don't think it's a great film if you had to put a number on the tomato meter claire where should event horizon be i'm gonna agree with you i don't think it deserves to be much past 80 percent. i think somewhere between 75 to 79 percent would be fine so let's say 78 percent it's very good i think they did very well with it. The performances are great. I think the set's great. I think the effects are really good. The story, the backstory of the characters. So there's lots of layers there to play with. So it deserves that. I don't think it deserves much more than that, but it should be 78%. But now here's the real burning question before we exit movie talk. Can you watch Titanic and still enjoy it, Claire? Or every time you put on Titanic now, are you just thinking, oh, what could have been if we just fast-tracked that movie and got it out in the summer? Then we could have had Event Horizon in time for that year's Christmas, maybe the full version. I'm wondering. Like, I'm interviewing v- Billy Zane very soon as well, which I'm quite looking forward to. That's going to be a good laugh. He could have um, been great in Event Horizon. You know, he could have played. He could have played the Doctor. He could have played Sam Neill's part. He, it, Billy Zane could have been in that movie. I really do think. I think Billy Zane could have been in that movie. But can you imagine Billy Zane as the Doctor Weir character? He would have been a very different sort of villain. No, see. That- <laughs> I'm, I ain't trusting that guy. I love I love me some Billy Zane. I trust Dr. Alan Grant. I do not trust Billy Zane as a doctor and out. Of, as soon as I know Billy Zane is like the one behind the engineers of the show, I'm like, wait a minute. Uh-uh. Not trusting you. Nope. <laughs> yeah, not so, someone's left a screw loose. Nah. Something's like falling apart. There's some <laughs> steam coming out from the grates over there. We don't know what's going on. And Billy is just like sitting in the corner with a cigar, <laughs> just enjoying himself. Like, yeah, what? I mean, the, the, a, a guy couldn't even get the Titanic to safety. He's going to get the event horizon there. Um, exactly. He'd be right. in one of the, the space pods, you know, far, far away. He'd be like saving his own skin, like just like the titanic but yes i would like to see i wonder i would watch that a sequel with billy zane there you go i would watch that that's that's the film we talk about movies here and occasionally we get genius ideas for their sequels in an alternate dimension so we're not blaming you titanic our heart will go on but pour one out for event horizon at your next screening so that does it for movie talk hit the music brian 
This is Claire Lim. She always have great ideas for sequels, prequels, and some pretty damn good thoughts on a movie that I know a lot of people get in their feelings about. Event Horizon, 31% on the tomato meter, but not according to Claire and I. We're much more in alignment with this audience score that is fresh. Uh, Claire, you're always a delight when you're on here. Uh, we hope to see you on this side of the pond sooner rather than later. Uh, do you have any projects you want to tout coming up? Anything in the works that you can tell us? Social media handles, all that good stuff. Okay, so in terms of projects, there's a lot of things I can't talk about, but um, I am at various Comic Cons um, around the UK up until Christmas and possibly in America at the beginning of the year next year. I just came back from Salt Lake, which was fun. So if you want to catch up with all of my news, um, you can check me on Twitter. It's WeClaire. And on Instagram, it's WeClaire here. And if you want to catch me streaming, it's WeClaire here on Twitch as well. We Claire, that's W E E is in a wee lad. That is We Claire. Uh, do you have a good movie TV recommendation for us? It doesn't have to be in the vein of Event Horizon, but if that's your if that's your genre, sure. Um, at the moment, I'm watching The Rings of Power. No, um, I am enjoying it. I'm en- I am enjoying okay. it. But there are moments where it becomes so. Like, my name is Galadriel of the Elves of the Hills of St. Michael and the Wings of the Feet of... <laughs> and it's just, it becomes a bit too much. I was actually laughing while eating toast and drinking tea the other night in my pajamas going, this is great. It's like a comedy. It's like a great so, comedy. It's funny you brought that up because I, I put up a, a poll on Twitter today, actually, because I'm just doing a lot of work and prep for my shows in New York. And... um so just so I can do stand up and have fun. So we're kind of banking a lot of stuff today. And I was like, look, I'm, I'm going to be done with work after this. So I'm just going to have a little bit of uh, liquid refreshment, we'll say. And I want to watch a show. I want to start all these shows I haven't had time to watch yet. So Rings of Power, House of the Dragon, Andor. Those are my three that I put on the poll or just rewatch the Michael Jordan documentary again. Rings of Power is the way Claire goes or should I go House of the Dragon or Andor first? I would go Rings of Power. Right. I'm getting just a so, lot of wrecks for that. I'm getting a lot of people I, writing me, not just voting in the poll. They're like writing me and telling me, no, you're going to love Rings of Power. So I guess I'm a Rings of Power guy. It's a great comedy. <laughs> really, I find it really funny. It's, it takes itself so seriously that at one point you just have to laugh. But it's actually, if you're genuinely a Lord of the Rings fan, fan I think they've done really well. So I'm in, I am enjoying it genuinely for sure. All right, then. There you have it. Rings of Power, Event Horizon, whole lot of sci-fi fantasy with a dash of horror pinched in because it's the season that is. Once again, you can email us at rtiswrong at rottentomatoes.com. Subscribe, rate, review, whatever your podcast platform of choice recommends you do for shows you love. Make us one of those shows. Thank you so much for all of your help uh, for upcoming stand updates, including my special that is taping live in L.A. on December 3rd. You can go to Mark Ellis dot live for tickets and next week right here on rotten tomatoes is wrong the episode is the best horror movies of all time the best horror movies of all time which leprechaun films are gonna make the cut you gotta tune in next week for the best horror movies of all time so for we claire claire Lim, one of our favorite champions here brian glenn producey lucy jacqueline coley the whole gang at rotten tomatoes and at rottentomatoes.com special shout out to our buddies tim ryan and mark hoffmeyer for this episode i am merely mark ellis and i guess in the words of miller from event horizon we're leaving 